I have an image of um, my wife um, that I used to have on my, my phone um, where it was, I just come home one time is after one of our sons was born and um, he was a few months old and uh, just is a random time of the day I came in and and she was just sacked out with a, a little baby bundle right on her uh, chest as she was leaning back against the bed and it's just like just passed out, you know, middle of the day. That's what happens. And, and I put that picture up and I just put underneath it motherhood. Um, and and this this is it, just flat out exhaustion. <laughs> uh, you know, I've heard said that. Um, when you have young children or the older w- women will come up and tell you that these are the best days of your life. And I think they just forget. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of like having a baby is a wonderful thing. They just forget how painful it was. Uh, it's just one of those things that God's gifted mothers with selective memory uh, of, of some of those things. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's tiring. It's, it's, uh, I get tired watching it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it sounds bad, but... Um, as tiring as it may be for me, it's even more tiring for her. Uh, you know, she just, it's, it's constant. It's continual. Uh, it's constantly someone requesting of you, uh, asking of you. And I remember being a son, uh, looking at my mom, thinking, you know, my mom is a servant. And now as I look at my wife, I think, well, she's just, she's just enduring. It's just endurance uh, is probably, probably the, the key characteristics of, of motherhood is just enduring. Uh, just keep on going through the day and then collapse at the end and wake up, do it again. Um, and so after a while, you, you, I think you forget why you're doing it. Um, you, you just, you know, you, you stop thinking about why you just, you just do. Uh, and so I, I want to take Galatians 4, and because I think it speaks a lot as to why. For mothers, uh, why, and, and it goes across the board, why, why do we wake up at 3 in the morning, 1 in the morning, uh, and, and throughout the day, constantly at the beck and call of, of children, uh, why do we lend, lend out our heart in such a way so that whatever they do, it breaks? If they fail, it breaks. If they succeed, it lifts up. Why do we loan our heart out that way? Uh, what's, the, what's the purpose behind that? And, and the, the short answer is, well, so they'll survive. That's the short answer. So that they'll survive. And as so the question I want to ask is, well, why is it so important that they survive? What, what's so important? We don't think about that because it's instinct. We know it's important that they live. Uh, but why is it important that they live? And in fact, why is it important that you do what you do? You uh, sacrifice what you do. Why is it important? Uh, I would present to you that uh, ultimately it's going to be about God, as you might guess from a preacher talking on a Sunday morning. Okay, it's going to be about God. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you might even say, well, it's going to be, well, to glorify God. And I'm saying, yeah, okay, you, you've got that one because the Bible says that all things work to the glory of God. And, and Colossians 1 verse 16 says all things were created by him, referring to Jesus, and created for him. And so, yes, I will tell you, uh, because that's what a pastor of the word of God is going to tell you, is that motherhood is created for Christ. And so now you might want to figure out, well, how does that work? How is it created for Christ? And what I want to do is give you a little bit more specific answer than just to glorify God. Um, that's all important. It's general. 
But what, what specifically are we shooting for? Uh, what is the purpose of our life? As mothers, what is the purpose of our life? And this is across the board. I, I'm, it's Mother's Day, so I'm going to talk about moms. But it's also true for fathers, for anybody. What is the purpose of our life? What, in fact, what is the purpose of Green Pines Baptist? Uh, what is the purpose of our efforts? What's the purpose of Spring Fling when we do that? Um, yeah, it's to glorify Christ, but what specifically? So with that thought in mind, that question, uh, we're going to go through this text, and we're going to go from Galatians 4, verse 8 through verse 20, and it's going to all point to one primary purpose. And so we're just going to explore this test, this text to see what the purpose is for all of these things, motherhood, fatherhood, church, life itself. What What is it that God is looking for uh, in our life? And so as we read this together, uh, let's stand to honor God by... Uh, recognizing what we're reading, this being his word, if you'll read silently as I read aloud to you. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored you over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it is because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing he felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am in anguish, again, in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You may be seated. One of the things I've brought out in, in reading of this book is, is the tone of Paul, that it is distinctly harsh. Um, a lot of the other letters that he writes is usually peppered with thanksgiving to God for the people to whom he's writing. You don't see that. Uh, in this book, in fact, in Galatians 1, verse 3, where you normally would find that in his formulas of greetings, uh, in, in fact, is kind of a rebuke to the Galatians. And in fact, in chapter 3, he, he calls them foolish. Oh, my foolish Galatians. Uh, and, and so we, we've got this really um, salty Paul here talking to the people. And, and when we come to this chapter here, it's kind of refreshing because we realize that he is not just backslapping them. He is telling them these things because of his deep love for them. And you see that a little bit more in this passage that we read, that there is an anguish of heart that Paul is writing and that he calls them his brothers. He calls them even his little children. He says there is a love mixed in. So what is Paul so concerned about? You remember, we've looked especially in Galatians 3, the Judaizers, those who came to this region after Paul did. And uh, Paul taught them the gospel of Christ, that it was 
something that's done by the grace of God through faith. And the Judaizers come in and says, well, that's a great start. Let's complete it. Let's make you more perfect. And let's add to this the law, the Torah, uh, the Jewish uh, ceremonial rituals, the circumcision. And if uh, you start in Christ, let's now complete it by becoming a Jew. And we're adding to this. And so doing, de- uh, well, really undermining what Jesus Christ did on the cross, saying that it wasn't the cross itself alone that saved you. It, it was the works that you did later as well is he created these, these, they created divisions in the church that they were these now second tier Christians and first tier at, that if you really wanted to be top dog, you had to do all these other rituals. In fact, uh, if you weren't, then you were just some subpar Christian and when they didn't associate with them and they were even starting in their fellowship time, separating themselves and creating segregation. So Paul knows that at stake is the gospel and you're going to find the most, uh, Bitter words that Paul gives are found in the Galatians. It's not to the idolaters. It's to those who add to the gospel. Just like Jesus had his most salty language uh, for those who knew better, who were religious. It wasn't the prostitutes. It wasn't the tax collectors who were considered extremely immoral. It was those who the world deemed as very moral that Jesus spoke to the harshest. Okay, And so we see the same theme uh, in Galatians. And so... Verses 1 through 7, he's presenting to them that they are now sons of God. They're heirs with Christ. They're not slaves. They are in a great position before God. And it's been done by the grace of God through faith. And so he says it's not buzz as a product of the law, but the product of God's working. So we come to verse 8. And so in contrast, he says you're no longer slave, a son... An heir through God. And so in contrast, verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. All right, so he's saying, look back, consider your former life. Before you were touched by the grace of God, those things that you served, whether it was a cult or a emperor worship or uh, Zeus, which in some regions of of Galatia, they did worship Zeus, or, or whatever it may be with the stars, these were pagan things, and you were not uh, known by God. You were strained, though you were religious, you did not have a relationship with God, and that's what he brings out. Uh, and so, whatever they served, they were enslaved to. Now, verse 9, he has that great contrast. So that's, that's how you once were. But now that you have come to know God. And this is not just an intellectual fact. It was a, it implied an intimacy of relationship. Okay. Uh, it's, it's the difference between saying, I, I know President Obama versus I know President Obama. You know, the difference between that of, of just knowing some facts about him as opposed to some relationship uh, experience with them. And so what he's saying is you are known or you know God, you have that relationship with him. And then in verse nine are rather to be known by God. OK, here's what he's bringing out. It didn't start with you. It started with God initiating a relationship with you. It's the idea of 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we love love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The fact of the matter is, is that when those who are saved by God, it, it started in God's heart. Something called election 
It's right here in this text where he says, God started the ball. He initiated relationship with you. This is something that we've seen among Southern Baptists for a long time. This concept, and the reason is because it's right here in the Bible. It's right here in the Bible where God says, you know, you chose me, but you need to know that before you chose me, I chose you. I was working in life and circumstances and events so that I knew what your free will choice would be. And before you were ever born, I set you apart. I set you apart for my purposes. And so here we have it. God knows us. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So now that you know God, you're in a relationship with God, why are you going to go back to practices that did not bring you to a relationship with Him? It says the worthless elementary principles of the world. In other words, there is no power, there is no wealth in them that brings you to God. Now, I want you to bring out, uh, bring out something to you. The Galatians and the Judaizers were not renouncing Jesus as the promised Messiah. They weren't saying that Jesus isn't the Son of God. They weren't saying things like that. Uh, they weren't denying the Christian faith. What were they doing? They were simply adding to the concept that you're saved by Christ and grace alone through faith alone. And notice how Paul calls it. You add to it. You are going through elementary principles of the world. This is his idea of paganism. This is demonic. You know, our thought is, we have this concept, but we'll say someone's a good old boy. They're just a good person. And we'll use that terminology, and, and the fact of the matter is we would rather be around a good person, though they're not saved by grace through faith alone, than someone who is not what we call a good person. I mean, isn't that our rathers, if we we're going to sit next to someone? We want to sit next to a good person. Now, Paul says, yeah, okay, they're a good person in the world, how the world counts it, but it's demonic. It's pagan. It's not of God. Anything that you add to Christ subverts what Christ has done. If we say that we are got, we've gotten right with God, not just by what Christ has done, but also by our Bible reading, or by our church attendance, or by our ability to keep the Ten Commandments, this is also included in what Christ has done. We have deteriorated and undermined the work of Christ. And Paul calls it elementary principles of the world, weak and beggarly things. Isn't that interesting? If it's not of faith, it's sin. If it's not of faith, it's sin. And so he says, look, you've been saved by grace through faith. Don't go to anything else. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you, uh, I think about this, the story of, of Jesus healing the leprous person. And you know, in that day and time when you were a leprous, you were ostracized, you had your own place. Uh, you didn't you didn't hang out in the village with everyone else. In fact, a lot of times you would even have a signs or bells indicating I'm unclean. Uh, and so the Bible gives prescriptions that when someone was healed, they were to discard their clothing, burn it, get rid of it, uh, shave and just start anew. Can you imagine a leprous person who has been healed by Christ uh, and no longer have the leprous discharge coming from their skin, coming back and said, but you know that was my favorite blankie. I want to sleep with that. It stinks like rot, discharge of my skin, leprous, but 
you know, I'm just attached to it. What Paul is saying is, listen, your thought of improving yourself through your many methods is condemning you to hell. God has saved you by grace. Don't go back to the old way of thinking. Listen, the gospel changes our self-image. All right, how do we view ourselves? Is it not how the world often views ourselves based on our performance? If you perform well, now we can have a good self-image of ourselves. Isn't that isn't that the idea of perfectionism? Where we want to view ourselves well, so we do things to the best of our ability and so our judgment on us is based on our performance. Isn't that how this world works? Isn't that how we often think? Or is it how you still think? Your worth is based on what you do, how you do it. The gospel is radically different. Because it comes in, in this system of thinking and says, you know what? The best that you can do is as filthy, leprous-like rags to God, even in your best. So you're going to have to find a different criteria because your best isn't cutting it with God. Maybe cut it with yourself or cut it with your peers, but it's not working with God. And so God comes in and says, I will do the work for you. I will perform for you. And now I will see you as holy as a saint before God. I want you to view yourself not in how you perform, but how Christ performs. And so now for those who have been saved by the gospel, we've got a new way of thinking, a new paradigm of saying, you know what? I Yeah, I'm worthless. I've done all kinds of bad stuff. But God sees me as a saint. Or, I've been very good, God. I've been, I've been doing all the Ten Commandments to the best of my ability. I'm a giver. I don't, I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't get drunk. I don't do these things. God, you know, I'm a very good, but those are all worthless, God. And I see that. And now it's not based on who I've been or what I've done. It's based on what Christ has done. And so like Paul, we can say, the best of what I've done, I count it as rubbish, as a dung pal. Alright, that's, that's biblical language for something much more crass. It's as dung pal compared to what you are, Christ. The best of what I've got stinks. <laughs> and so I need, I need the work of Christ. You see how the gospel changes things? So much of what we do is based on our works, our value of ourselves, based on how we perform. The gospel says it's not how you perform, it's how Christ has performed. And let that set you free in your heart and your mind that your love before God said, don't go back to how this elementary principles of the world work and call it religion or, or even worse, call it Christianity. When it's just pride. Viewing yourself based on pride. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Mother, it's not in how you perform. The moms constantly asking themselves, Am I a good mother? 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 And that's the, that's the refrain they keep repeating to themselves as life goes on. And oftentimes they will base their value on that question. Am I a good mother? And I'm going to tell you, that's not how Christ does it. He says, nope, 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 you're not a good mother. But it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter. Because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has done. What Christ has done. And we're going to see how that changes you as a mother. So, it's not Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus alone. Verse 10. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. This may correspond to the Jewish system of Sabbath days, the new moon rituals uh, in regards to the month, the seasons of the Passovers and Pentecost and, and the years, the Jubilee year, the Sabbath, sabbatical year. He says it, it's not based on, on whether or not you perform these things. You go back to Jerusalem to do these things. It's, it's not based on these seasons. Uh, some folks will read this and say, well, see, you know, Christians shouldn't celebrate any special days. Um, Interesting we say this on Mother's Day. Uh, but Romans 14, verse 5 and 6, I think, gives us a, a better clarification here. Uh, Paul says in Romans 14, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he's given thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So what he's saying here is observances are neither mandatory, nor are they inherently blameworthy. If you celebrate a day, we'll celebrate unto God. And that's why I would say to you on Mother's Day, worship God. Worship God and do so by thanking your mother. Okay? Uh, and so that's, that's the idea here. In verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You see, there's a purpose in living and he's realizing the Galatians aren't getting it. They're not doing it. They're, they're getting confused with, with how they see their life is based in, in performance. And so he's, he's concerned over this. And he's not afraid that they're losing their salvation. Sometimes you may read this and think, well, does this mean they, they, they're saved and now they're not saved? What he's concerned with is, is, is he believes that he's thinking, you know, I don't know everything of what their hearts are doing. I don't know the spiritual state of the Galatians. And they may be faking it. They may have... Uh, faking that they're a part of the church, been water baptized, but they have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. They have not been having new life birth into them. Just like, you know, someone asked me when I'm preaching, what I'm preaching toward, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm telling folks, I'm preaching toward the salvation of the church members. What do I mean by that? I believe every Sunday there are people here that are members of the church that have not been born again in their spirit and they are feigning it, they're faking it, they've been water baptized, they've been members of the church. But like Paul, I too am concerned that I'm laboring over you in vain, that I may preach the word of God to you, I may preach toward faith, but you don't believe and so it's vain efforts for you. And that's what Paul is concerned about. It's not whether or not they've lost their salvation. It's whether or not they're believing by faith that the Spirit of God is being born in their life. Sometimes when I'm at my most passionate yelling, screaming, it's this thought that's in my heart and mind. There are people who will die in the hearing of this who have believed that they have some imitation of Christ, but they do not have Christ working in their life because they've not been bendable to Christ. They've not yielded and trusted and relied on Him. And they're relying on other, on other things. And that's, I'm concerned. As Paul is. So verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. There's something about how Paul is that, that's hitting home with the purpose of, of life. He says, become as I am, 
For I also have become as you are. I would just say the hint to this is Galatians 2.20 when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Become as I am. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. All right? And the life which I now live in the flesh, live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so he says, become like that. Become like me. And the great, the great tragedy of this is that Paul is becoming like the Galatians. In other words, his strategy in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23 is to become as the people are, to contextualize the gospel into how they live the life. And so he's not going to be so bent up on, on being the rituals of a Jew. He's going to be more like a Gentile, like the nations that he's in. Uh, and so he says, I'm going to contextualize that. Uh, and the great tragedy of this is as Paul was doing that to the Galatians, he leaves and later on the Galatians try to be like Jews. And Paul says, wait a second. No, I, be like I'm being. I'm, I'm not dependent on these works. I'm crucified with Christ and Christ is living in me. And he says, you did me no wrong. And so from, from verse 13 on to about 18, he's going to start do a little memory lesson. He says, you remember, you remember when I first came to you? And I'm just going to ask you to do the same. When you first encountered Christ as your saving Lord, think back to those days. What was your life like? The joy of that. What was the shaping influence in your heart and life? It is good for us to think back and remember, are there differences in how we used to be when first Christ came into our life to how we are now? The difference could very well be is that the shaping influence of Christ has been diluted now. And we start looking to other people, to other things to influence us. And he says, think back on that. He says, verse 13, you know it was because of body element that I preached the gospel to you at first. In other words, it wasn't Paul's plan. Paul got diverted there because of some sickness that he had. And what he wanted them to understand is it was God's providence that brought me to you. In the first place. And there's some guessing as to what the ailment could be. Some folks guess it was malaria. Uh, some, some folks said it could be uh, epilepsy of some sort. Um, and most folks think it was some kind of eye problems. Um, and we'll have other verses that speak to that. But there's some reason physically that he went there. Verse 14. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. Evidently, there's something about Paul that was just burdensome. He could have been gross looking. Uh, it could have been just uh, a needy type person. We don't understand, but something about it became a burden to them. But they saw him as an angel of God, a messenger of God. Verse 15, what then has become the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you, have gou- you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Thus, this is the reason some people think he was having eye problems. Uh, but the sacrifice they, had, sacrifice they had, verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He says, like in Ephesians 14, 4, verse 15, I've been speaking the truth in love, and now you're treating me as an enemy. I just, I'm telling you the truth. All right? So what is this purpose of life? Verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not when I'm present with you. Oh, wait, I'm, skip, I'm skipping. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, the NIV says the word zealous, all right? It's where the word jealous comes from. We think of it in a negative sense today. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you see that it's not just a negative connotation because it's given to describe God as zealous. Uh, Paul is using that same sense of jealous or zealous 
which is simply that you are that you're making much of somebody that you're paying attention that you're cart guarding carefully that which belongs to them and so uh the esv i think does a better translation when it says they make much of you they're putting much attention towards you they're wooing you but he says in verse 17 but for no good purpose they want to shut you out that you may make that you may make much of them this is flattering all right flattering when you are making a big deal about someone so that they in return will make a big deal about you. It looks great. It looks like you're encouraging, but it's really just reverse. All right? You're just, you just, you want to be loved. You want to be lifted up. And so you start lifting up other people with the hope, with the design that they'll do it back to you. All right? This is flattery. So Paul is calling it out for what it is. They are just flattering you because the real purpose of their life is to be made much of. Now listen, isn't that what most of us live? We want to be made made much of. We want glory to be given to us. And so Paul is just calling it out for what it is. And he says there's another reason for this life. Verse 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Not only when I'm present with you, my little children. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. So he takes the motherhood image. Calls them little children. The, the idea of the toddlers, the preschoolers running around. He says, you, you're like that to me. I, I'm cherishing you. I'm loving you. I'm in anguish for you. He says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. And so he sees himself as a mother. And notice what he's comparing. He's not talking about having babies. All right. He's talking about the pain of having babies. And you know there's a big world of difference because moms always remember having the babies, but that they, they block out the pain. They block out the pain part of it because they have to because, you know, child number two is coming. All right, I'm not going to think about that. Uh, and child number three, child, you know, they keep on like that. And, and, and so it's, a, it's probably a sanity thing to, to forget that, the pain of that. But Paul is saying the pain of that. I am in the pain of that for a certain purpose. Um, you yeah, think about this. This is given again in verse 27, this, this imagery of anguish of childbirth. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 2, it's, it's given that same image of anguish of childbirth. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, a, week and, a week and a day ago, I had uh, a nephew born. My sister had uh, their fourth child, and uh, it was uh, fairly, um, oh, you know, later on in, in her life, and just a lot of possible complications and and so she had the baby without any kind of um pain medicine uh nine nine pound five ounce baby um and so we visited her later on that day and just you know talking about it just brought back memories of of our children being born that my wife the last child had no um really didn't have time for pain medicine um and and i was coming up after parking the car and and they were coming after me and said hey where are you? We need, it's time. I'm like, really? You know, it was 20 minutes after getting there, we, we had the baby and, um, I, I come in and she's different. Okay. She's, um, <laughs> she's saying to me, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm, well, you know, um, yeah, I, I was trying not to say anything trite. Um, I knew that she was going to have the baby. She could do this. And so we just prayed and, 
because uh, I was trying not to get in trouble. And um, <laughs> we were having the baby, and um, yeah, I, I don't know fully the anguish of this. I can't. I can't. Guys, don't ever say that you do. But she wanted to share this with me. Um, and so she grabbed my hair and was pulling it. And, and so we were able to share, I would share a little bit of the anguish and, and then the nurses were paying all kinds of attention to me and, so you okay, okay. <laughs> really got really upset about that, you know. Um, but it's the, the anguish of the child, it's, it's something that a woman often looks back to as probably the most painful time of their life. They look back and, and so what Paul is saying here is this is a painful thing. One of the most painful things and that I'm laboring with you believers in Galatia for a certain purpose. In fact, he's probably identifying with something he said later on in Romans 8, verse 18 through 28. And he describes all of nature going through the groaning of a broken creation, waiting for the consummation of all things that will take place at the return of Christ and glory. You need to understand that when when nature does its, its destructive things, I look at that as a groan. As a groan. When I, when I look in my mirror and see gray hair coming, I hear a groan. <laughs> you know, when the body aches, and the muscles deteriorate. And the bones shrink. It's amazing. Dad's now shorter than me somehow. When, when these things happen, it's the, the groanings. The deterioration. It's crying out saying, we are in a broken world. Nature is broken. The tornadoes are saying the nature is broken. Earthquakes open up and saying the nature is broken. And my body deteriorates and says my body is broken. My mind forgets things and tells me my body, my mind is broken. And Paul is saying I'm dealing with broken people. And I'm in anguish and pain. And I'm praying and I'm laboring over these things. Because all things are are deteriorating, declining and pointing to one day a redeemer who will come and says it is finished it is now done the world has been restored and redeemed in his image the image that God first made when he created the world he said let man be made in his image and ever since man sinned we've been broken we've been groaning and we've been anguished looking for something different looking for something different and Paul because he's a believer because he's an ambassador for Christ, no longer just groans for himself, for Christ to be born in him, but now he sees the people around him and he's groaning in pain and anguish, laboring for Christ to be born around him. So notice what he says. What is the purpose here? What is, what is the point? How do we glorify God? My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. What is the point of motherhood? The point of motherhood is that Christ would be formed in life. That Christ would be formed in your life as a mom. That Christ would be formed in in the life of your children. What's the point if your children prosper and live and eat and thrive and grow if they do not have Christ forming in their life? It's just It's just delaying death. What's the point of motherhood and surviving and helping your children survive if they do not have spiritual life? It's just delaying death. 
that's the whole point. What's the point of our church? Why do we, why do we labor together? Why do we work together? Why are we working towards spring fling? Listen, it's not so that the school will make much of us. That's not the point. The point is that we can see the life of Christ form in our life and the form in the life of the school around us. Why do we work in our community, in our jobs? Why do we live for Christ and let Christ live in us? It is to see the life of Christ in us. Let me just... In Genesis, God says, I'm going to make man in my own image. In other words, when God created something, He wanted it to be beautiful because He's a beautiful God and everything flowing from His beauty. So what is it that God wants to see? What is it that he wants to see that brings beauty to this world? Listen, sometimes when I see myself, my children, I leap up and, and, and jump in joy. And sometimes I say, whoa, is me. I'm in them too. The world made after my image would be devastating, disgusting, and ugly. God does not want this world to be made and your image mothers. And your image daddies. God wants to see himself. Because it is, he is the most beautiful thing. The most beautiful being. And so for this world to shine in his beauty, it is for Christ to be formed in us. And thus God can see himself in us. Moms, I implore you to be like Paul. Be in anguish of childbirth again until Christ is formed in your children. The thing is, you're not just doing it for them, are you? Because it's hard enough just for yourself. God, the whole creation is in anguish so that Christ will be formed in me. How does, how does Christ get formed in us anyway? How does that work? Well, Look a few verses up, Galatians 4, 6. Remember, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I look at this and it tells me that Christ is formed in us by his Holy Spirit. That is why, if you do not have the spirit of God, you are not a father of Christ. You are not a son. If you don't have the spirit of God, in your life. You're a member of this church. On paper. But not in spirit. You must have the spirit of Christ. How do we get the spirit of Christ in our life? One chapter earlier. Galatians 3.5. Does he who supply the spirit to you. And work miracles among you. Do so by works of the law. Or by hearing with faith. The applied answer is. It's done by faith. How is Christ formed in us? It's ultimately done by faith. How do, how, how do I hope? How do I have any assurance that I'm going to be like Christ? That Christ is going to be formed in my life? When I rely on nothing but Christ to do it in my life. When I depend on Holy on Christ. When I seek Him as the only one that can change my life. And faith is the evidence, the assurance of things hoped for, the things not yet seen. And so I say, I don't see Christ in my life yet, but I have the assurance I'm hoping for. it. And so I depend on Christ working in me and His Spirit changing me from the inside 
out. The inside out. Romans 12.1, we're to be conformed to this, not to be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind from the inside out. And 2 Corinthians 4.10, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies and works from the inside out. 1 Corinthians 15.10, it was not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 15.8, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me. Romans 8.28, you'll know that when all things work together good for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. And then verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Why are all these things happening? Why does disaster and bad things happen? They are the groanings. They're telling us something better awaits us. And God is working through those things with the Spirit of God to transform me from the inside out. Sometimes the best thing that could happen to us is that we physically become disabled so that spiritually we're renewed by God. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to the economy is it for to crack up in shambles and pieces so that we'll, in our spirit, rely on God and not money. Sometimes the best thing that could happen to church is have a budget plummet down to the ground so that as a church we rely on Christ. The Spirit of Christ working. Verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now. And change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. As I read this, I just asked myself, who am I perplexed about? And for what reason? Are, are we perplexed about anyone in our life because Christ is not being formed in them? It seems to me, moms and dads, as Christ is being formed in us, we'll realize that it's the most beautiful thing, the most life-changing thing that can happen in our life. And if we want the best for our children, we don't want them to have more of us, but we want them to have more of Christ in us. And we'll be perplexed when we don't see it in our life. What are you perplexed about? Because called so-and-so doesn't have money? So-and-so doesn't have a job? Yeah, I can see how you get perplexed, but let it pale in comparison to the fact that you don't see Christ in our life. So how do you change your child? <laughs> By faith. By faith. What changes you? God's grace, His Spirit changes you. What's going to change your child? God's grace, His Spirit, changing them. And when it's all said and done, you can lay down all the rules. You can hand out all the spankings or whatever punishment devices you want to give. You can have all the lectures, all the scoldings. You can kick them out of the house or you can buy them a house. But when it's all said and done... It's the grace of God that changes children. You pray for them. And you count on God working in them because you're praying for them. The Spirit of God working. 
And in the meanwhile, you let that child and the circumstances that's hitting you turn you to God and say, God, what does Christ look like in me? Do your work in me. As I read this and I caught hold of what it was saying, then the response is simply this, for us to pray, God, form your son in me. Form your image in me. Renew my mind. I can read all the Bible, but reading all the Bible is not going to do it. I can go to church Every Sunday, going to church every Sunday isn't going to do it. It's the Spirit of God working in me that will use the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God working in me and the body that will use the church of God. And I believe that if the Spirit of God is working, you will be in the Word of God and you will be in the church of God and God will work mightily through those things. But the power is in the Spirit of God, not the tool, the one using the tool, God. So when your child is giving you all kinds of grief, then you say, these are groanings. These are moanings. I have a sinner for a child. God have mercy. (laughs) But God, use it. Use it to form your son in me. And that's something we all can do. You don't have to have a major performance. (laughs) But you're not judged by your performance. Judged on whether you're trusting what Christ has done for you. Let's pray.